Section 38 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 1 by James Boswell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Irish Literature, Itart 48. By the favour of Mr. Joseph Cooper Walker of the Treasury, Dublin, I have obtained a copy of the following letter from Johnson to the venerable author of Dissertations on the History of Ireland. The Affinities of Language, Anno Domini, 1757. To Charles O'Connor, Esquire, Sir, I have lately, by the favour of Mr. Faulkner's senior account of Ireland, and cannot forbear to solicit a prosecution of your design, Sir William Temple complains that Ireland is less known than any other country as to its ancient state. Footnote. I have often observed with wonder that we should know less of Ireland than of any other country in Europe. Temple's works, end a footnote. The natives have had little leisure and little encouragement for inquiry, and strangers, not knowing the language, have had no ability. I have long wished that the Irish literature were cultivated. Footnote. The celebrated orator Mr. Flood has shown himself to be of Dr. Johnson's opinion. Having by his will bequeathed his estate, after the death of his wife, Lady Frances, to the University of Dublin, desiring that immediately after the said estate shall come into their possession, they shall appoint two professors, one for the study of the native Erse, or Irish language, and the other for the study of Irish antiquities and Irish history, and for the study of any other European language illustrative of or auxiliary to the study of Irish antiquities or Irish history, and that they may give yearly two liberal premiums for two compositions, one in verse and the other in prose, in the Irish language. Boswell. End footnote. Ireland is known by tradition to have been once the seat of piety and learning. Footnote. Dr. T. Campbell records in his diary of a visit to England that at the dinner of Mrs. Dillies, April 5, 1775, he ventured to say that the first professors of Oxford, Paris, etc., were Irish. Sir, says Johnson, I believe there is something in what you say, and I am content with it, since they are not Scotch. End footnote. And surely it would be very acceptable to all those who are curious either in the original of nations or the affinities of languages to be further informed of the revolution of a people so ancient and once so illustrious. What relation there is between the Welsh and Irish language, or between the language of Ireland and that of Biscay, deserves inquiry. Of these provincial and unextended tongues, it seldom happens that more than one are understood by any one man, and therefore it seldom happens that a fair comparison can be made. I hope you will continue to cultivate this kind of learning, which has for too long lain neglected, and which, if it be suffered to remain in oblivion for another century, may perhaps never be retrieved. 
as i wish well to all useful undertakings i would not forbear to let you know how much you deserve in my opinion from all lovers of study and how much pleasure your work has given to sir your most obliged and most humble servant samuel johnson london april the ninth seventeen fifty seven to the reverend mr thomas wharton dear sir dr marsilio of padua a learned gentleman and a good latin poet has a mind to see oxford Footnote. on mr thrale's attack of apoplexy in seventeen seventy nine johnson wrote to mrs thrale i remember dr marsilio an italian physician whose seizure was more violent than Mr. Thrale's, for he fell down helpless, but his case was not considered as of much danger, and he went safe home, and is now professor at Padua. Piozzi letters, end of footnote. I have given him a letter to Dr. Huddersford, footnote. Now, or late, Vice-Chancellor, Wharton Boswell he was vice-chancellor when johnson's degree was conferred but his term of office had now come to an end, end footnote. and shall be glad if you will introduce him and show him anything in oxford i am printing my new edition of shakespeare i long to see you all but cannot conveniently come yet you might write to me now and then if you were good for anything but honores mutant mores professors forget their friends footnote mr wharton was elected professor of poetry at oxford in the preceding year wharton boswell end footnote i shall certainly complain to miss jones footnote miss jones lived at oxford and was often of our parties she was a very ingenious poetess and published a volume of poems and on the whole was a most sensible agreeable and amiable woman she was a sister to the reverend river sick oliver jones chanter of christchurch cathedral at oxford and johnson used to call her the chantress i have heard him often address her in this passage from il penseroso the chantress oft the woods among i woo etc she died unmarried wharton into footnote i am your etc samuel johnson london june the twenty first seventeen fifty seven pleased to make my compliments to mr wise subscribers to johnson's shakespeare itart forty eight Mr. Burney, having enclosed to him an extract from the review of his dictionary in the Bibliothèque des Savants, and a list of subscribers to his Shakespeare, which Mr. Burney had procured in Norfolk, he wrote the following answer. To Mr. Burney in Lynn, Norfolk, sir, that I may show myself sensible of your favours, and not commit the same fault a second time, I make haste to answer the letter which I received this morning. The truth is, the other likewise was received, and I wrote an answer, but being desirous to transmit you some proposals and receipts, I waited till I could find a convenient conveyance, 
and day was passed after day till other things drove it from my thoughts yet not so but that i remember with great pleasure your commendation of my dictionary your praise was welcome not only because i believe it was sincere but because praise has been very scarce a man of your candour will be surprised when i tell you that among all my acquaintance there were only two who upon the publication of my book did not endeavour to depress me with threats of censure from the public or with objections learned from those who had learned them from my own preface yours is the only letter of goodwill that i have received though indeed i am promised something of that sort from sweden how my new edition footnote of shakespeare possible enter footnote will be received i know not the subscription has not been very successful i shall publish about march if you can direct me how to send proposals i should wish that they were in such hands i remember sir in some of the first letters with which you favoured me you mentioned your lady may i inquire after her in return for the favours which you have shown me it is not much to tell you that i wish you and her all that can conduce to your happiness I am, sir, your most obliged and most humble servant, Samuel Johnson, Gough Square, December twenty-fourth, seventeen fifty-seven. Brothers and sisters, Anno Domini, seventeen fifty-eight. In seventeen fifty-eight, we find him, it should seem, in as easy and pleasant a state of existence as constitutional unhappiness ever permitted him to enjoy to bennett langton esq at langton lincolnshire footnote this letter is misdated it was written in january seventeen fifty nine and not in seventeen fifty eight johnson says that he is forty nine in january seventeen fifty eight he was forty eight he mentions the performance of cleone which was at the end of seventeen fifty eight and he says that murphy is to have his orphan of china acted next month it was acted in the spring of seventeen fifty nine end of footnote dearest sir i must indeed have slept very fast not to have been awakened by your letter none of your suspicions are true i am not much richer than when you left me and what is worse my omission of an answer to your first letter will prove that i am not much wiser but i go on as i formerly did designing to be some time or other both rich and wise and yet cultivate neither mind nor fortune do you take notice of my example and learn the danger of delay when i was as you are now towering in the confidence of twenty-one little did i suspect that i should be at forty-nine what i now am but you do not seem to need my admonition you are busy in acquiring and in communicating knowledge and while you are studying enjoy the end of study by making others 
wiser and happier i was much pleased with the tale that you told me of being tutor to your sisters i who have no sisters or brothers look with some degree of innocent envy on those who may be said to be born to friends and cannot see without wonder how rarely that native union is afterwards regarded it sometimes indeed happens that some supervenient cause of discord may overpower this original amity but it seems to me more frequently thrown away with levity or lost by negligence than destroyed by injury or violence we tell the ladies that good wives make good husbands i believe it is a more certain position that good brothers make good sisters i am satisfied with your stay at home as juvenile with his friend's retirement to cumai i know that your absence is best though it be not best for me quam vis digressu veteris confusus amici laudo tamen vacuus quod sedem figere cumis destinet atque unum cibem donare sibilla footnote juvenile satire three though grief and fondness in my breast rebel when injured thales bids the town farewell yet still my calmer thoughts his choice commend i praise the hermit but regret the friend resolved at length from vice and london far to breathe in distant fields a purer air and fixed on cambria's solitary shore give to st david one true britain more johnson's london end of footnote dodsley's cleone itard forty nine langton is a good cumai but who must be sibylla mrs langton is as wise as sibyl and as good and will live if my wishes can prolong life till she shall in time be as old but she differs in this that she has not scattered her precepts in the wind at least not those which she bestowed upon you the two wartons just looked into the town and were taken to see cleone where david says footnote mr garrick boswell end of footnote they were starved for want of company to keep them warm david and doddy footnote mr doddsley the author of cleone boswell garrick according to davies had rejected doddsley's cleone and had termed it a cruel bloody and unnatural play davies's garrick johnson himself said of it i am afraid there is more blood than brains the night it was brought out at covent garden garrick appeared for the first time as marplot in the busybody at drury lane the next morning he wrote to congratulate dodsley on his success and asked him at the same time to let him know how he could support his interest without absolutely giving up his own to this dodsley returned a cold reply 
garrick wrote back as follows master robert dodsley when i first read your peevish answer to my well-meant proposal to you i was much disturbed at it but when i considered that some minds cannot bear the smallest portion of success i most sincerely pitied you and when i found in the same letter that you were graciously pleased to dismiss me from your acquaintance i could not but confess so apparent an obligation and am with due acknowledgments master robert dodsley your most obliged david garrick garrick correspondence where the letters that passed are wrongly dated seventeen fifty seven mrs bellamy in her life says that on the evening of the performance she was provoked by something that dodsley said which she continues made me answer that good man with a petulance which afterwards gave me uneasiness i told him that i had a reputation to lose as an actress but as for his piece mr garrick had anticipated the damnation of it publicly the preceding evening at the bedford coffee-house where he had declared that it could not pass muster as it was the very worst piece ever exhibited shenstone writing five weeks after the play was brought out says dodsley is now going to print his fourth edition he sold two thousand of his first edition the very first day he published it the price was eighteen pence and a footnote david and doddy have had a new quarrel and i think cannot conveniently quarrel any more Cleone was well acted by all the characters but bellamy left nothing to be desired footnote mrs bellamy life says that johnson was present at the last rehearsal when i came to repeat thou shalt not murder dr johnson caught me by the arm and that somewhat too briskly saying at the same time it is a commandment and must be spoken thou shalt not murder as i had not then the honour of knowing personally that great genius i was not a little displeased at his enforcing his instructions with so much vehemence the next night she heard she says amidst the general applause the same voice which had instructed me in the commandment exclaim aloud from the pit i will write a copy of verses upon her myself i knew that my success was insured End of footnote. i went the first night and supported it as well i might for doddy you know is my patron and i would not desert him dodsley had published his london and his vanity of human wishes and had had a large share in the dictionary End of the play was very well received doddy after the danger was over went every night to the stage side and cried at the distress of poor cleone footnote. it is to this that churchill refers in the following lines let them the muses with glover 
or medea doze let them with dodsley wail cleone's woes whilst he fine feeling creature all in tears melts as they melt and weeps with weeping peers the journey poems in a footnote now i have left off housekeeping and therefore made presents of the game which you are pleased to send me the pheasant i gave to mr richardson footnote mr samuel richardson author of clarissa boswell end of footnote the bustard to dr lawrence and the pot i placed with miss williams to be eaten by myself she desires that her compliments and good wishes may be accepted by the family and i make the same request for myself mr reynolds has within these few days raised his price to twenty guineas a head Footnote. in seventeen fifty three when in devonshire he charged five guineas a head tailors reynolds shortly afterwards when he removed to london twelve guineas ibid in seventeen sixty four thirty guineas for a whole length one hundred and fifty guineas ibid northcote writes that he sometimes has lamented the being interrupted in his work by idle visitors saying those persons do not consider that my time is worth to me five guineas an hour northcote's reynolds end of footnote and miss is much employed in miniatures footnote miss reynolds at first amused herself by painting miniature portraits and in that part of the art was particularly successful in her attempts at oil painting however she did not succeed which made reynolds say jestingly that her pictures in that way made other people laugh and him cry and as he did not approve of her painting in oil she generally did it by stealth Ibid, end of footnote. i know not anybody else whose prosperity has increased since you left them murphy is to have his orphan of china acted next month and is therefore i suppose happy footnote. murphy was far from happy the play was not produced till april by the date of johnson's letter he had not by any means reached the end of what he calls the first and indeed the last disagreeable controversy that he ever had with mr garrick murphy's garrick page two thirteen in a footnote i wish i could tell you of any great good to which i was approaching but at present my prospects do not much delight me however i am always pleased when i find that you dear sir remember your affectionate humble servant samuel johnson january the ninth seventeen fifty eight johnson's shakespeare delayed i tight forty nine to mr burney at lynn norfolk sir your kindness is so great and my claim to any particular regard from you so little that i am at a loss how to express my sense of your favours this letter was an answer to one in which was enclosed a draft for the payment of some subscriptions to his shakespeare boswell and a footnote but i am indeed much pleased to be thus distinguished by you 
I am ashamed to tell you that my Shakespeare will not be out so soon as I promised my subscribers. But I did not promise them more than I promised myself. It will, however, be published before summer. I have sent you a bundle of proposals, which I think do not profess more than I have hitherto performed. I have printed many of the plays, and have hitherto left very few passages unexplained. Where I am quite at a loss, I confess my ignorance, which is seldom done by commentators. Footnote. In the preface he says, I have not passed over with affected superiority what is equally difficult to the reader and to myself, but where I could not instruct him, I have owned my ignorance. End of footnote. I have likewise enclosed twelve receipts, not that I mean to impose upon you the trouble of pushing them with more importunity than may seem proper, but that you may rather have more than fewer than you shall want. The proposals you will disseminate, as there shall be an opportunity. I once printed them at length in the Chronicle, and some of my friends, I believe Mr. Murphy, who formerly wrote the Gray's Inn Journal, introduced them with a splendid encomium. Since the life of Brown, I have been a little engaged from time to time in the literary magazine, but not very lately. I have not the collection by me, and therefore cannot draw out a catalogue of my own parts, but will do it and send it. Do not buy them, for I will gather all those that have anything of mine in them, and send them to Mrs. Burney, as a small token of gratitude for the regard which he is pleased to bestow upon me. I am, sir, your most obliged and most humble servant, Samuel Johnson, London, March the 8th, 1758. The Garret in Gough Square, Anno Domini, 1758. Dr. Burney has kindly favoured me with the following memorandum, which I take the liberty to insert in his own genuine, easy style. I love to exhibit sketches of my illustrious friend by various eminent hands. Soon after this, Mr. Burney, during a visit to the capital, had an interview with him in Gough Square, where he dined and drank tea with him, and was introduced to the acquaintance of Mrs. Williams. After dinner, Mr. Johnson proposed to Mr. Burney to go up with him into his garret, which being accepted, he there found about five or six Greek folios, a deal writing desk, and a chair and a half. Johnson, giving to his guest the entire seat, tottered himself on one with only three legs and one arm. Footnote. Northcote gives the following account of this same garret in describing how Reynolds introduced Rubiliac to Johnson. Johnson received him with much civility and took them up into a garret, which he considered as his library, where, besides his books, all covered with dust, there was an old crazy deal table, and a still worse and older elbow chair, having only three legs. 
in this chair johnson seated himself after having with considerable dexterity and evident practice first drawn it up against the wall which served to support it on that side on which the leg was deficient northcote's reynolds miss reynolds improves on the account she says that before johnson had the pension he literally dressed like a beggar and from what i have been told he as literally lived as such at least as to common conveniences in his apartments wanting even a chair to sit on particularly in his study where a gentleman who frequently visited him whilst writing his idlers constantly found him at his desk sitting on one with three legs and on rising from it he remarked that dr johnson never forgot its defect but would either hold it in his hand or place it with great composure against some support taking no notice of its imperfection to his visitor it was remarkable in johnson that no external circumstances ever prompted him to make any apology or to seem even sensible of their existence croker's boswell page eight three two there can be little question that she is describing the same room a room in a house in which miss williams was lodged and most likely mr levitt and in which mr burney dined and in which certainly there must have been chairs yet mr carlyle misled by her account says in his apartments at one time there were unfortunately no chairs carlyle's miscellanies and a footnote here he gave mr burney mrs williams's history and showed him some volumes of his shakespeare already printed to prove that he was in earnest upon mr burney's opening the first volume at the merchant of venice he observed to him that he seemed to be more severe on warburton than theobald oh poor tib said johnson he was ready knocked down to my hands warburton stands between me and him but sir said mr burney you'll have warburton upon your bones won't you no sir he'll not come out he'll only growl in his den but you think sir that warburton is a superior critic to theobald oh sir he makes two and fifty theobalds cut into slices Footnote. in his life of pope johnson calls theobald a man of heavy diligence with very slender powers in the preface to shakespeare he admits that what little he did was commonly right the editors of the cambridge shakespeare on the other hand say theobald as an editor is incomparably superior to his predecessors and to his immediate successor warburton although the latter had the advantage of working on his materials many most brilliant emendations are due to him on johnson's statement that warburton would make two and fifty theobalds cut into slices they write from this judgment whether they be compared as critics or editors we emphatically dissent 
among theobald's brilliant emendations are a babbled of green fields henry v act two scene three and lackeying the varying tide antony and cleopatra act one scene four end of footnote the worst of warburton is that he has a rage for saying something when there's nothing to be said mr burney then asked him whether he had seen the letter which warburton had written in answer to a pamphlet addressed to the most impudent man alive footnote a familiar epistle by lord bullingbroke to the most impudent man living seventeen forty nine in a footnote he answered in the negative mr burney told him it was supposed to be written by mallet the controversy now raged between the friends of pope and bullingbroke and warburton and mallet were the leaders of the several parties footnote mallet by address or accident perhaps by his dependence on the prince in square brackets of wales bound his way to bullingbroke a man whose pride and petulance made his kindness difficult to gain or keep and whom mallet was content to court by an act which i hope was unwillingly performed when it was found that pope had clandestinely printed an unauthorised number of the pamphlet called the patriot king bullingbroke in a fit of useless fury resolved to blast his memory and employed mallet seventeen forty nine as the executioner of his vengeance mallet had not virtue or had not spirit to refuse the office and was rewarded not long after with the legacy of lord bullingbroke's works johnson's works and walpole's letters End of footnote. mr burney asked him then if he had seen warburton's book against bullingbroke's philosophy footnote. a view of lord bullingbroke's philosophy in four letters to a friend seventeen fifty four to five in a footnote no sir I have never read Bullingbroke's impiety, and therefore am not interested about its confutation. End of section thirty eight.